Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Awesome. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. I got to be honest, I'm a little out of breath from running back and changing really fast. So if I'm breathing heavy in the mic, I apologize for that. But like Mark said, my name is Ben. I'm the student pastor here. Um, I'm so excited to be kicking off week two of our series, Cast. Uh, Last week we started this series, Mark started it, and, and taught us that Jesus' followers were always meant to be fishers for people. There's this command, not just a suggestion, but a command that as followers of Jesus, that we go and fish for people, or simply put, that we share Jesus with others. So it's, it's not just something that we're suggested to, to do, but we should do. But honestly, I think for most people, we don't feel equipped or confident enough to fish for people. And so this series is all about learning some ways that you can fish for people or share Jesus easily. It's the basics on how to cast when it comes to fishing. But as we dive in, I want to do our memory verse together. So I'm going to throw this up on the screen. If you guys would read this aloud with me. It says this, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Mark 1:17. Oh man, that was good. So last week, the we talked about this, it's the C in CAST, so it's, it's an acronym, so every letter is one of the how-tos when it comes to fishing for people. Mark started this series out and said the C in CAST is this, it's this invitation to come and see. We as Jesus followers are commanded to CAST, but we get to invite other people in to come and see what God has done in our lives. We get to see, uh, invite them to see what God has done. And so today I just want to celebrate one more time that we all got to come and see the evidence of what God had done in so many people's lives. That 11 people were baptized this morning. How cool is that? Yes, it's so cool. And I'm a little, a little selfishly as the student pastor, I'm a little excited because eight out of the 11 people who got baptized today were either student or kids age. And it's so exciting to see the next generation Um, and their faith, and get to come and witness their profession of faith and get baptized. It's so exciting. But it also reminds me that, like Mark said, three weeks from today, we're launching our second campus. And and I'm always reminded of that stat, that majority of people will accept Christ before the age of 30. But as we go north in Collin County, this second fastest growing county in the nation, as we go north, every mile you go north, it gets younger and younger, and every mile you go north, there's less and less churches. And so I'm, I'm reminded today, it reminds me of, of really cool things that have been happening here, but also it makes me excited just for the future of LifePoint, that we get to see more life change, that we get to invite more and more people to come and see and invite the next generation along with that. I'm, I'm so excited. I don't know about you. But today I get to talk about the A in cast, which is this, to ask boldly. Today we're going to be talking about prayer and how prayer plays a part when it comes to fishing for people. Now, as the student pastor, I have a fun relationship with prayer uh, because I get to pray a lot of times with middle school and high school students. And uh, being in the room the first time someone prays a prayer out loud is, is so fun. Or sometimes you sit in a room and someone closes in prayer and says, thank you, God, amen. And that's it. But it's great. We love it. It's so fun. Um, but a lot of times, if you're in a middle school small group like I am very often, um, jumping in, prayers, if you go around the room, our leaders will ask as they close, hey, hey what's something we can be praying for you, 
praying for you for this week. And it'll say, go something like this. One will say, I've got a science test this week. The next will say, I've got a football game. I don't want to get hurt. And the last one will always say, like, my grandma's cat is sick. Please pray for that. <laughs> you always got to get like a, a random uh, extended family pet in there into a prayer. It's not middle school, small group, if not. And so I, I love those prayers. We love that our teenagers are praying and that they're sharing what's going on in their lives with their leaders. But I also think there's probably more to prayer than just my grandma's cat, right? And before you think of getting too critical on middle schoolers, this is how we pray too, isn't it? Like this, the subject of prayer is often me or my comfort or my safety, right? That's often how we pray. When a middle schooler pray, prays for their science test, they're praying for their comfort. They don't wanna get grounded because they're failing science class. But the truth is adults, we do this too. Many of our prayers revolve around our comfort and our safety. God, help me to not get sick. Uh, help me to have a safe trip. Help me to have a good night's sleep. Help me to have a good day, protect my family. And of course, help me to not fail this test, one I've prayed so many times in my life. Honestly, I think it's funny, we have, uh, if you've grown up in church, we kind of have like weird phrases that we say when we pray, like we've got our own like prayer language that we use, which is kind of funny. Uh, one you hear a lot like, Lord bless this food. The amount of times I've asked God to bless food that, that I'm just eating garbage is so funny. Uh, and when I was in college, Chick-fil-A came out with a 30 nugget tray. Um, and it was like, this feeds four to six people. And so of course, me and all my, my buddies, our challenge was, let's go eat the 30 nugget tray with a large fries and a large drink. And so I went through the drive-through, I ordered my 30 nugget tray, a large fry, a large drink. And the, the guy who was checking me out literally went like, can I get a name for the order? I was like, yeah, it's Ben. Ben, can I ask you a question? Yeah? Is this all for you? <laughs> yes, it is. And I ate it all. And, and before, me and these buddies of mine who are all believers, we got together. And of course, we had to pray over this meal. We had to pray, God, bless these 30 chicken nuggets this large fry and the large Coke to the nourishment of my body. There was nothing nourishing happening in my body after that, I can guarantee you. Uh, one that I, I hear a lot, I worked with someone, and she would pray this way, and maybe you use this phrase when you're praying, it's, it's not bad, um, it's the hedge of protection. Have you ever heard that one? Someone I was talking about with Mark and Isaac this week, and Isaac's like, oh yeah, I say a hedge of protection. That one always confused me, because I'm a very literal person. And so when someone said like, oh Lord, put a hedge of protection around them, I was like, are they praying for like a, like a bush? Like, <laughs> are they literally praying for a bush? So I Googled it, I did some research on it, and they are. That's actually the crazy part, is it, it stems from, um, like in ancient times before every city could afford walls to go around a city, they would have bushes, they would have like rose bushes that they would uh, put around a city and that would help keep um, animals like wolves and lions and bears out. You're like, oh, okay, that makes sense, a hedge of protection. It's a hedge, it's a rose bush that's protecting people from dangerous animals. Uh, we got walls now though, but we still pray for hedges of protection, so that's weird. Uh, I just think that's interesting. We hopped on a bus one time, we were just leaving for summer camp, we we're hopping on a 60, uh, 56 passenger bus and one of the student's parents came up, hey, can I say a quick prayer for the students for safe travels on the way to camp? I was like, oh, absolutely, that'd be amazing. And so we prayed together and she said, Lord, would you put a hedge of protection around that bus? I was thinking, I was like, God, we're gonna need a lot more than a bush around this 56 passenger bus if something goes wrong. I, I just can't see that doing much to help us out. But we pray weird things, I don't know. And it makes sense, these are all good things that we pray for. But the truth is, a lot of times they're all focused around me my comfort, my safety, or maybe you're a little bit like me and you pray a lot more when you start feeling guilty. Um, if you've done something wrong, that's when you start praying more often 
Um, my family, I'm the youngest of three siblings. I have a, a sister who's about four years older than me and a brother who's like seven years older than me. So I was, I was the baby of the family and my sister growing up was like the perfect child. Like she's, she's the favorite, like we all know it. Like I know it, my brother knows it and my sister knows it. Like we all know she's the favorite. Uh, and she's great, I think she's the favorite. She's my favorite too. Uh, but she's awesome and my parents would always brag like, oh, we never had to spank your sister. We never had to ground your sister. Me and my brother on the hand, other hand were like always in trouble. And so they would always like brag about like, oh, she was just the easiest. She always took care of her stuff. She always made good grades. We never had to get onto her. And so like two years ago in our, our family group text, my mom sends this picture. She's going through some old family keepsakes and she found my sister's teen study Bible, a girl's teen study Bible. She's like, oh my gosh, what a precious moment. I'm gonna look through it. And so she starts looking through it and she finds this devotional from a middle school summer camp that my sister went to. And she finds this devotional. At the very bottom, there's this prayer. It says, Lord, I need help in the area of Ben. That's me. First of all, I'm a person, uh, not an area. She says, look at this. She says, it's so easy to blame stuff on him because my parents always believe me. I cannot believe this. And so I'm like 25 years old, finding out like, I was getting in trouble for stuff she did. And I, poor nine-year-old me was probably just like, yeah, I probably did that. You're right. <laughs> I don't remember it, but it definitely wasn't her. <laughs> so all these reasons that we pray, a lot of them we would say, like, whether I'm feeling guilty, whether it's my comfort, my safety, whatever it is, it's easy to let our prayers constantly revolve around us about what's going on in our lives. And so my question that I want us to dive in and answer today is this. If God answered all of your prayers this week, would anyone other than you be better off? I think about that. If, if God answered all of our prayers, who would benefit from it besides you? Or, or maybe sometimes you do pray for other people, uh, but it's really hard. It, almost when we pray for other people, it, it starts to feel a lot like those beauty pageant prayers. We're like, God, bring world peace. Uh, God, end homelessness. God, cure cancer. And, and again, those are good things. They almost seem too vague or abstract to really make a difference or impact anything. And so my question for you is this. If God answered all of your prayers this week, who would be better off because of it? And so today as we dive in, we're going to be comparing first century prayers to our 21st century prayers. We're going to look at the early disciples of Jesus and see how they prayed and see if there's anything different about their prayers and our prayers Today, Because I believe there's, there's an inconsistency between the size of our God and the size of our prayers. We talk like our God is big, but we pray like our God is small. God holds the nations in his hands, but we're asking him to heal our allergies. God placed the stars in the galaxies, but we're just asking him to help us find our car keys. God created us for big, eternal purposes, but we're asking him to help us avoid traffic. I believe our prayers lack boldness and don't tap into the full power of God. And so today we're gonna to be looking in Acts chapter four. If you've got your Bible, you can head over there. If, if you need one, there's one in the seat next to you. You can use that one. But we're gonna be in Acts chapter four. And I gotta give a quick disclaimer. I'm gonna give a lot of context to this. So I'm sorry for like how long I'm gonna talk about the backstory. But I think it's really important to really understand what's going on. So about two to three months before where we're gonna pick up in Acts chapter four, about two to three months before this is when Jesus was crucified. 
Jesus is crucified. Three days later, he raises from the dead. Uh, some people see him, and all of a sudden, 100 people are following this resurrected Jesus. They've seen him with their own eyes, and they believe that Jesus really is the Messiah, the Son of God. And so this early Christian movement, um, as we get to Acts chapter 1, already has about 120 people who are following Jesus. That's pretty cool. After Jesus ascended um, a couple months later, he ascends back into heaven, the Holy Spirit arrives, and all of a sudden Jesus, his disciples and the early followers begin going out and teaching about Jesus in the temple. And people are amazed by this teaching. They're amazed by what they're saying. They saw Jesus do. And all of a sudden, 3,000 people start following Jesus. I mean, it's just exploding. And right as we get into Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, two of the early disciples, the followers of Jesus, they've gone into the temple they see a man who sits by the gate of the temple every day. He was born lame. He, he can't walk and he sits there and begs um, for money every time people come by. And they see him and they're like, we don't have anything for you, but we do got this. And they like pick him up and he just starts walking. They're like, that's pretty cool. That's, that's better than money. And people see him walking around and then they hear Peter and John teaching. And all of a sudden about 5,000 people are following Jesus where we are here in Acts chapter four. That's pretty cool. I mean, it's just explosive growth over a two to three month period. So Peter and John, they heal this man. They're teaching in the temple about Jesus. And the next thing you know, Peter and John get thrown in jail. You're like, well, that was a weird turn. How'd we get there? Well, the Sanhedrin hears them teaching uh, about Jesus. They're teaching uh, this thing that they don't agree with. And so they put them in prison overnight. And the next morning, they're supposed to come and stand trial in, in front of the Sanhedrin. What's the Sanhedrin? The Sanhedrin is this uh, council. Uh, it's like the governing religious body for the Jews, and they're in charge of the temple. And so they're about to come in front of the Sanhedrin, which is made up of two groups of people. The Pharisees, who if you've been around church, if you've read through the gospel before, you may have heard of these people. Um, Jesus spends a lot of time with the Pharisees. And then there's also the Sadducees. Now, when I was growing up in youth group, I was always confused, like, what's the difference between these two people? Like, they're two different groups. They make, the, they make sure to emphasize the two different groups, but like, I don't know the difference in them. And so I asked my youth pastor, I was like, what's the difference in the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And he said, well, the Pharisees weren't very fair, you see. They were legalistic. I was like, oh, that makes total sense. And the Sadducees were very sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in an afterlife. They, they just believed this life was all you got. And he's like, that's the difference. I was like, oh, okay. That kind of explains things. But then I started thinking about it. I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. Why are they working together? Like, they seem like they have wildly different beliefs about life and about God. And they're working together to, to run the temple. And so I started doing a lot of research and uh, the Sanhedrin Council is made up of those two groups, and they were all the wealthy, the intellectual, and the powerful in Jerusalem. But like we said, they had wildly different beliefs. The Pharisees, they weren't very fair, you see. They weren't very fair, you see. Uh, Jesus did a lot of his ministry uh, with the, the Pharisees, and he was very critical of them. There's a lot of times where Jesus calls them hypocrites. He, he literally calls them actors, and it's not hypocrites in the sense that they say one thing and they do another. He's like, you say one thing, you do that thing, but your heart is far from God. And so we see these, these Sadducees, Jesus said, you're putting on an act. Or I'm sorry, the Pharisees, he tells them, you're putting on an act for other people. 
the, the law that they were so devoted to, God's word that they were so devoted to, they would constantly read and always make sure they were doing what it said. They actually twisted it, the law that God gave to help protect those people who were being oppressed, to, to look out for the, the orphan and the widow and those who were mar- the marginalized in society. They actually used it to oppress those people and make their righteousness better so they could have more authority and, or be seen as uh, better than other people. They twisted God's word to make themselves um, more important. Now, the, on the other side, the Sadducees, they did not hold to the Jewish teachings at all. <laughs> they were put in charge of running the temple and then completely abandoned the Jewish scriptures. Uh, so they didn't believe in an afterlife. They believed this life was all you got. They were very powerful. They were very wealthy. And the best way I ever heard this described uh, was the Sadducees were a lot closer to like a temple mafia system than they were a church staff. Like they were corrupt people. They were not good people to be around. And they actually started doing things like they, they knew the, all the Jews would come to the temple to worship. So they started selling animals in the temple um, to make money off of people's worship. And Jesus did not like that either. He was very critical of the Sadducees. And so these two groups, as you can imagine, were very different, did not agree on a lot. But one thing they did agree on was that they wanted Jesus gone. They wanted to get rid of Jesus. And so they did. This is the same Sanhedrin that Jesus stood trial before and was sentenced to death just two to three months before this moment. These were the same people who killed Jesus. Even though they couldn't agree on a lot, the Pharisees' authority was being threatened and the Sadducees, their power was being threatened. And they're like, well, if you're teaching about resurrection, we, don't, we say that doesn't exist. So this is a clear, a clear opposition to what we teach. So they killed Jesus. This is even the same court where just a few months earlier, Peter denied Jesus three times. He saw the writing on the wall. He saw that Jesus was about to be killed and he was, felt that his life was in danger. And so three times he denied even knowing Jesus. And that's where we pick up this story. Peter and John now back in the temple teaching that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is raised from the dead. And that's kind of crazy because that's a big leap in two to three months. Like something crazy has had to have changed for Peter to go from denying ever knowing Jesus to now boldly standing in front of them saying that Jesus rose from the dead. Like what's changed in these two to three months to cause this to happen? Let's pick this up in chapter four of Acts. We're gonna start in verse eight where it says this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. I mean, they go in front of this council, no fear, not trying to beat around the bush at all, straight to you killed Jesus, but it's because of Jesus that this man is now walking. They're saying these miracles aren't by our own power. It's by the power of Jesus. They are not being shy about it at all. And something has clearly changed. Like where did this boldness come from? They're acting with such boldness to to stand in the face of opposition and still preach that Jesus is raised. Something's clearly different about them. 
Maybe you're thinking, well, maybe they spent a couple extra weeks diving into to the, to the Bible. They did a couple extra Bible studies and now they feel more confident so they can go back and teach in front of the Sanhedrin. They just got a little bit more education. That's what changed. But it continues in verse 13. It says this, when they, the Sanhedrin, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and be, they began to, to, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Here's what they noticed. These guys aren't seminary grads. They're not Bible scholars. Honestly, if someone said this about me, I'd be kind of offended. Like, oh, the youth pastor's teaching? Ah, it's that unschooled ordinary guy. Like, I wouldn't like that at all. That would be kind of offensive. But I'm reminded what Mark taught last week. As, as he said, fishing for people, it, it starts right away. It's not something that we have to work our way into. As soon as we come and follow Jesus, as soon as we come and see, we get to start fishing for people right away, not once we figure it all out. And honestly, this is probably what keeps most people from sharing Jesus. It's convincing ourselves that we're not ready yet, that we're not ready to do it. But there is one way to avoid the kind of opposition that they're facing. It's to sit in the recliner and stay comfortable. However, Pastor Kevin Queen says it this way, the most dangerous place on the planet is often your comfort zone. It's there where you're most at risk of missing what you were created for. And I think that's so cool that these people see Peter and John and they're not seeing their accomplishment. They're not seeing how impressive they are. They're saying like, oh, these guys are ordinary, but they were with Jesus and that's what made them different. That's what gave them this boldness to stand and preach. That's what amazed the Pharisees. And so this conversation kind of comes to a weird conclusion because the Sanhedrin wants to condemn them. They want to get rid of them. They want to throw them back in jail. But the man who they healed has just been standing there the whole time. They're like, well, try and deny this. This guy's walking and he's actually with us right now. And all these people saw this miracle. They're all amazed. They started believing in Jesus. So they're stuck in this corner. So instead of condemning them, they just decide, hey, you can go. We're going to let you go free. However, you cannot teach about Jesus anymore. You cannot preach the name of Jesus. You have to stay quiet. And here's how they respond. In verse 19, it says, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I, I love this response. I really do. It's like this, it, I think of it as this bold humility. And you may think those words don't really go together. But they're bold. They're, they know what they believe, but they're also humble. They're, they're not trying to get in an argument with the Sanhedrin. They're not trying to win a debate against the religious leaders. They're like, hey, we know what's right for us. And we've told you what we believe. And if you can't get on board with that, that's fine. But we've got a mission. That mission is to share Jesus. That mission is to fish for people, and we cannot stop. So I love this, but like we said at the beginning, this is about asking boldly. And up to this point, it's been a lot about acting boldly. Like this story has been all about Peter and John like standing up to the man. They're like, how cool of a moment that is. But how did they actually continue out this mission? As we said it's about asking boldly and there wasn't a lot of asking here. But I think what happens next 
is gonna be a big indicator. It's pro- to me, I think this is why all of this story happens. Why this incredible moment where they get to stand up to the religious leaders, they get to preach Jesus boldly with confidence in the face of opposition, isn't because they just all of a sudden are better public speakers, but because they began to ask boldly. And so here's how this story ends up. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Peter and John show up. There's a huge sigh of relief. People are worried about them. They've probably been praying about them for a long time. So they decide to immediately stop everything they're doing and pray. But before we look at this prayer, I want us to think, how would we respond in prayer if this was a 21st century prayer? How would we pray if this was us praying right now? If if we had just narrowly escaped death, narrowly escaped persecution, and now we come back to all of our friends, the fellow believers, how would we pray? Honestly, I think a lot of our responses would be, okay, Peter, John, like y'all can't travel together anymore. We're splitting y'all up. It's too dangerous to have y'all together. Two, uh, we're gonna get a security detail for you. We're gonna get some muscle to walk around with you guys so that you guys stay safe. Uh, Three, tone things down with the R word. No more resurrection. You can't say that. We know the Sadducees hate that word. So maybe find a different word. Maybe let's just try to leave that part out. And four, for crying out loud, can we put a bush around this house to keep these people safe? Oh my goodness, anyone can get in here. That's not how they prayed. Instead, look at their response. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. I love this because they start not by focusing on their own problems, but they start by focusing on how big God is. As God gets bigger, my problems get smaller. They continue and say in verse 29, now Lord, consider their threats and, and again, how would we finish this sentence? Lord, consider their threats and and go get them. (laughs) Lord, consider their threats and, and protect us. Lord, consider their threats and save us. Lord, do something, smite them, whatever you want, I don't care. But consider their threats and protect us because we're the ones who are doing what you asked us to do, God. But this is how they prayed in a dangerous time when their lives were being threatened. It finishes, it says, now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Like what, that's crazy. They asked for help to speak with boldness. Like when was the last time you and I prayed for boldness to speak God's word, to share Jesus, boldness to fish for people, not just for people outside of our faith, that God would uh, save people outside of our faith, but when's the last time you prayed that God would use you to share Jesus with someone who doesn't know him yet? I mean, because think about this, the very people who are threatening their lives are the people they're praying for. How crazy is that? That's bold. Bold action goes hand in hand with bold prayers. If we wanna have that big moment in front of the Sanhedrin where we get to preach Jesus boldly, where we get to share Jesus even in the face of opposition, it starts with bold prayer. So Acts chapter four, verse 30 says this. Stretch out your hand. This is them, how they finish this prayer. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy 
through, through the name of your holy name of your holy servant, Jesus. Like, what are they asking for here? Signs and miracles and maybe you're like, I'm not into that. But really what they're asking for is, is that God would allow them to do something incredible with their lives so that other people would see them and give glory to God and give credit to God. Oh, only God can do that. I mean, miracles, anytime we see miracles throughout scripture, they were never for the person who received the miracle. I mean, it had to be pretty cool, don't get me wrong, but the miracle is never just for them. The lame man who they had just healed a chapter earlier who is now able to walk, uh, the blind man who is healed, even Lazarus who is dead, who Jesus rose from the dead, brought back to life, he died again. He, we don't see Lazarus walking around in Plano in the 21st century. Like these miracles weren't just for those people. They were for the people who got to see that miracle and realize that this must have been the hand of God. And so what the disciples are asking for is to be able to go into their work, into their school, into their neighborhood, and to be able to be a vessel for God's power, not for their sake, but for the sake of those who don't yet believe. And so what would happen if we began to add God, would you give me boldness and stretch out your hand, giving the people in my world a reason to give you another look? What would happen if we added that to our prayers? I gotta put a disclaimer on that, like a warning, like that is not a 21st century prayer at all. That's a bold prayer. And I can guarantee you, if you start to pray like this, you're gonna start seeing some things that you haven't seen before. And the truth is, I'm reminded of the, the long 34-year history of our church of LifePoint. And we're a church that prays. Like, we pray, and it's, it's been really cool to see how God has used our prayers, or through our prayers, answered our prayers, and just see the path that we've gone as, on as a church. And even recently, we've been doing something called Gather, where about once a month, we'll get together and, and pray together as a church about the future of our church, um, about the future of this campus and the campus that we're opening in three weeks um, to the north. And it's been cool because in those times that we gather together and pray, we've seen God answer prayers in a way that we would say only God could do that. How cool is that? And I just wanna put this on your radar. Be ready, the next gather is coming up soon. But how about you personally? As a church, yeah, we pray and we pray boldly. But what about you just individually? Are your prayers bold? Do your prayers honor the power of God? Because if you wanna act boldly, you need to pray boldly. And I believe this, the difference in the you of today and the you of tomorrow will be the boldness of your prayers. And that's true for us as a church as well. The difference in the life point of today and the life point of tomorrow will be the boldness of our prayers. And even Collin County, this county that's growing, the second fastest growing county in the nation that we're now opening a second campus in, the Collin County of today and the Collin County of tomorrow, the difference will be the boldness of our prayers. Do you wanna pray for something big? But sometimes those bold prayers, those big prayers feel too vague. Start praying that God would give you boldness to speak his word in your county, in your city, at your work, to your family. Now that's bold and God can really use that. It's something specific and tangible that you can do while relying on the power of God to move and do what only he can do. I imagine if we really did this, like, what if we started praying this way? 
What if you be- jumped in and began praying bold prayers? Imagine God giving you greater boldness to share Jesus with your coworkers, your family members, or even your neighbor. Imagine if you began to pray that God would do something through you to cause other people to see him. And so my challenge, my application for today is, is simple. I want you to start adding this to your prayers. God, give me boldness. Stretch out your hand and do something through me to get others to see you. And you know what? I believe God will answer those prayers. I believe if we start praying boldly like this, God will give us opportunities to share his word boldly. As we move forward in 2023, as we get towards Easter, as Mark was saying earlier, the easiest time to invite someone who uh, you know who doesn't go to church is on Easter. They're more likely to say yes to an Easter invite than any other time in the year. And so I wanna encourage you this, to start praying for some people and inviting them to Easter service um, just three weeks away from today. And when they come, here's our commitment to you, we will be sharing Jesus at our Easter service. Like these early Christians, we realize that we must do what we can do and ask God to do what only he can do. We pray he changes hearts. We share boldly, he changes lives. And I would love to, to talk to someone and, and just like that verse earlier, it said like, oh, that guy's, that guy's ordinary, but man, he's been with Jesus. Like the fact that people would look at your life and see the power of God in you, to see life change in you, that they say, oh, okay, I'm interested in what you have. Not because of how impressive of a speaker you are, not because you gave the most uh, bulleted outline of how you can come to follow Jesus, not because you gave the most convincing article or the most convincing argument, or you had the best response in a Facebook post. No, because they saw Jesus in you. And that's what drew them in. And so I wanna invite you to do this. Begin praying for the people in your life who don't know Jesus. Start praying for them. We wanna ask boldly because followers are fishers. We're commanded to do it as Jesus followers. We're, we're tasked to ask boldly and ask God's spirit to move in other people's hearts. And lastly, on your, on your way out today, you're gonna get a magnet that looks a little bit like this. And it's, it just has three spots um, and it just says prayer list at the top. And I wanna encourage you to take this home, put it somewhere you're gonna see it and write three names on here of people that you know who don't yet know Jesus. Place this somewhere that you're gonna see it because part of following Jesus, part of making fishers of people is inviting them to come and see. But another piece of it is asking boldly. And how cool would it be is if the person you invited to Easter that you've been praying for for three weeks, you've been reminded, asking boldly that God would use you, how cool would it be if you got to share Jesus with them? My encouragement to you is not, not to just pray that God would do something cool in their lives, but instead pray specifically this, pray that God would use you to share Jesus with them. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to speak your word with great boldness. Even in the face of opposition, even when it seems so difficult, God, stretch out your hand and do something through us so that other people will see you. That's what we want most, Father.
Father, we pray that you would answer our prayers and draw those people in our lives to you in a way that would astound all of us. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.